You were drowning in a sea of sin, going down for the last time when you called upon his name. He reached down his nail-scarred hand and he lifted you out. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now. Give him the glory for what he's done in your heart. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new start. He took your broken life and he made you complete. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Do you remember when with all your heart you longed to serve him? But you didn't think that Jesus could ever use someone like you. But look how he's used your life since he brought you out. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now. Give him the glory what he's done in your heart. He took you from sin and strife and gave a new start. He took your broken life and he made you complete. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. So take off those crowns of glory and cast them at the Savior's feet. Amen. Man, that's a good song. Isn't it a good song? Boy, what a message. Praise the Lord. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1 today. I'm going to read the first 14 verses of that particular chapter, and we can just see what we can learn today. John chapter 11. <clears throat> John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was at Mary, it was that Mary, should I say, which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. I don't know about you, but that's not really one of those things that I w I'm, I'm always aware of. You hear about Lazarus, you hear about Mary and Martha. You don't think about Mary being the one that wiped you know, his feet with her hair. At least I don't. I don't kind of associate those two together. But here in the passage, we're, we're very clearly pointed, it's pointed out that indeed she was the one that did that. Verse 3, 
<clears throat> Therefore, his sisters, Lazarus' sisters, sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the, in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now in our particular passage, we note that Jesus and Lazarus are separated by quite a bit of geographical distance. They're not together. Lazarus is on his deathbed and he's concerned for his very life. He sends people to gather Jesus, to bring Christ to him. He had seen Christ do miracles. He had recognized his deity. He knew who Jesus was. And so he called for Christ. Jesus, hearing the news, remained or abode for two more days. He chose not to move. He chose not to go. And Ultimately, he says, it's time, fellas. Let's go ahead and make our way to Bethany. Let's go ahead and make our way to Lazarus' house. He said, our brother here, as you see, he says, is sick. Very sick. But he says, this sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God, that, he, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So, he recognized the severity of it. He knew the, the need. But on the other hand, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Now, the disciples couldn't figure it all out. They didn't know. But what they were concerned about was the fact that, well, if he's only sleeping, he's fine. If he's not going to die, who cares? The bottom line is, is it's fine. Why in the world would you want to go to Bethany? Don't you realize there are enemy there? Don't you realize that there are people that are seeking your life? Jesus, we were there not long ago. And boy, I'll tell you what, they sought you out. You need to realize that Bethany wasn't that awfully far from Jerusalem, only a couple of miles. And therefore, those men that were seeking Christ's life were literally just a few stone throws away. But Jesus made his way there anyway. And when they arrived there, of course, we know that Mary and Martha both at some point come to him and said, Oh, Master, if only thou had been here, our brother would not have died. And we know how the story ends, don't we? We know the account and ultimately Jesus stands there before a, a tomb. Roll the stone away. And they roll the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. 
What a great, great passage. What an inspiring passage. A passage that reveals the deity of Jesus. That helps us to see that He's more than a mere man. And we could preach on that passage and one day we will soon. But I want to draw your attention to a passage before that. I want us to begin reading one more time. Verse 11 through 14. He said, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought, they thought, they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Now watch it, here it is. Then said Jesus unto them, what? Plainly. When I get to that word, I want you all to say it with me. Then said Jesus unto them, Lazarus is dead. Plainly. Plainly. How did Jesus speak to them? Plainly. How did Jesus speak to them? Plainly. Lazarus is dead. You know what? The disciples got it. Oh. Oh. He's dead. Got it. Got it. I know what you're talking about. And now I get it, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They didn't get it at first, did they? I mean, they heard what he said, but they didn't understand. Can I... And I'm just going to share this message with you, and I pray that you'll just allow the Holy Spirit to use it today. But you know, most wear their feelings on their sleeves today. You know, you have to walk around on eggshells constantly for fear of offending someone. Constantly. You know, we're raising a generation, and we ourselves are being conditioned to be hypersensitive to everything. We melt down when confronted with criticism. We fall apart when facing failure. We get offended when we're told that we're either wrong or doing wrong. See, the truth is that most of the time, as pastor of Community Baptist Temple, I find myself walking around on tiptoe around the membership trying to be very careful because I'm concerned that they will get their feelings hurt or be offended or run off if I speak plainly. And I'm not just talking about the messages. I'm talking about dealing with your life, your children, your families. And I'm not talking about being rude or mean-spirited. That's not what I'm implying. I'm not implying either that we're to be unkind or insensitive. But too often we are trying to cover the truth with so much icing that we never get to the cake. When was the last time you were told you were just wrong? You're wrong. 
When's the last time you heard those words? Jesus' disciples, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying when he spoke of Lazarus sleeping. So instead of leaving the conversation with questions about what he meant, Jesus simply told them, he's dead. He spoke to them plainly. I'm convinced today that parents need to speak plainly. Yeah. I'm telling you, there is an epidemic of sugar-coated, icing-topped commands and requirements in homes today. Parents need to speak plainly. I mean, I don't know exactly when it happened. I I don't know how it happened 100%. But some years ago, we stopped telling our kids what to do and we began allowing them to choose what to do. Kind of like rapping with them, you know? We're going to talk to you. We're not just going to tell you, go do that. We're going to have to explain it to you. And we've got to kind of, honey, it'll be for you in your best interest. And trust me, when you get older, you'll thank me. And they're like, what? You really think your three-year-old can reason? Do you know that it is a scientific fact that children do not begin to reason until they're around 12 or 13 years of age usually? That the, something in the brain finally clicks and reasoning takes place? And we're over here trying to reason with seven, eight, and nine-year-olds today. And instead of just telling it plainly, instead of just saying, this is how it is, just go take your bath. No, I don't need to hear nothing. Do what you're told. Instead, we go ahead and sugarcoat it. Son, listen, if you're not clean, you'll smell and everybody won't like you. You won't have friends if you don't take baths. What's that about? He don't care. He's a boy. You know, I mean, come on. Whatever happened to just speak plainly? Eat your food. Do you realize that there are millions of Chinese people that are dying, that are starving? You know, there's Indonesians that, you know what I mean? Where, I understand. My mom did that stuff to me. I know. And we would sit there and go, who cares? <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> You've had your mothers do that. People say things like, well, you know, my child responds better to choices than commands. And I I know, I understand, he or she doesn't do well with authoritarian systems. I mean, he's not good. They don't thrive when given, they thrive when given freedom to express their likes and their dislikes. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, that's right. Kids always know what's best for them. We live in a generation, mom and dads, grandmas and grandpas in many cases, where psychologists and sociologists have infected our philosophy as parents. They've affected us. They've infected us. I mean, what worked for years and produced well-adjusted and productive members of society is now frowned upon. Do you realize that? It's, and I'm not talking about being mean. And, and somebody says, well, you know, you're, you're, you know I'm glad because I was abused as a kid and I don't... Listen... That was not the norm. You are an exception if you were truly abused. Most parents treat their children at least halfway decent. Come on now. Let's not do this old knee-jerk reaction because my dad, all he ever did was scream and cuss at me. I will never raise my voice at my child. Well, if you don't, someone else will, and when they do, he'll melt down. I've seen it at football camp. 
I watch these little kids run out on the field, some of them 12, 13, some of them 15 and 16. The first time in their life somebody got in their face and got on them because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they're sitting there, (laughs) shut up and quit crying. Be a man. Take it like a man. What are you crying about? I don't know. I just feel like you don't like me. I don't like you. Right now, you're right. I don't because you didn't do what I told you. (laughs) Folks, listen to me. I'm telling you, we are raising a generation of weak, need boys and girls. We don't speak plain anymore. We don't say what we mean and mean what we say. We're afraid to tell our kids no for fear that it will negatively affect their psyche. Do you know that they are teaching people not to say no to their kids? Do not use the word no. Do you know that there are, there are preschools in our area and some of our young ladies work in those? They're not permitted to say no to kids. Do you realize that? And then yet they'll say, when a girl says no, she means no. Well, nobody's allowed to tell them no, especially a young girl in the back seat of a car. Do you get where I'm going with this? I'm a little fed up because we're breeding this mess today. We have a double standard in our world. We don't want our children to grow up to know what no means because it'll hurt their psyche. But on the other hand, you better learn to say in this situation, no means no. Oh, well, now we've got to expect them to choose when no means no. We're, we're creating this monster that we have in a culture, in our society. We're hesitant to express our dissatisfaction and disappointment for fear that it will damage their self-images. Well, as a parent, I'm afraid to tell my kid I'm disappointed in them because I don't want to, break, I don't want to melt them. I don't want to bend their, break their spirit. I don't want to... What are you talking about? A good name is rather to be chosen. And if they're doing things that don't meet up to the measure of your name, you need to say, I'm disappointed in you as a young man. I expect you to be better than that. You were taught better than that. Now act better than that. Speak plain. We try to, well, son, you know, mom and dad really work hard to try to give you the best they can. And I, I would just hope that you would choose to do the right thing. I would really, I would prefer if you didn't do that. And the kid's gone. So I have a choice. Why don't you just speak plain? Tell them exactly how you feel. Let's start speaking plain. The disciples didn't get it because Jesus wasn't as plain as he could have been. And finally he says, Lazarus is dead. You got it, guys? Yeah, we got it. Thanks. We're afraid to demand a particular standard or level of output from our children because we may just expect too much and then cause them to loathe self. Self. Hate themselves. Oh, I can never measure up to my mom and dad's expectations. How high are those? Are they realistic, ma'am? Are they realistic, sir? Because if they're realistic, we ought to expect it out of our kids. Hey, listen, I think that if I send my child to school, whether it's public school or home school or Christian school, whatever it might be, I expect them to graduate. And if they don't, I'm going to be disappointed, very disappointed. Because they didn't finish what they started. And that's not good character. And they need to know, son, you need to finish what you start. No, you're not quitting. You're going to finish what you start because that builds character. Speak plain. Have to reason with them about it. Don't have to explain to them why an education is going to help them have so much more money in life. He's ninth grade. He just needs to know you're going to go to school and you're going to work hard and you're going to do your homework if I've got to sit beside you and make sure you get it done. 
Maybe we're just too busy to sit beside him and do that, though. With everything else in our lives. You know, like the Olympics. And our sports. And our television and our internet and our everything else. You know, we're so afraid of hurting their feelings and crushing their spirit that we never conquer their wills and instead they never learn self-discipline. The end result is, is, is catastrophic. We see a generation being raised with no one speaking plain. Again, the outcome is a society of weakness, a society of wimpy, weak, and wearisome adults Never knowing where they really stand. Never knowing where the, where, how, they, how other people view them. Never really knowing what's 100% right, 100% wrong. By the way, parents, not every child is, an athlete, is, is not an athlete. Not every kid's athletic. So why should he be rewarded for being athletic if he's not? Everybody gets trophies today, whoever. You don't have to win anymore. You just get them because everybody's a winner. That's not life. That's fantasy. We don't speak plain to our kids anymore. Son, you're going to go out for baseball this year. You're going to have to work ten times harder than the rest of the kids because, honestly, you don't have the arm you need. You're going to have to work at this. We're going to have to go outside and practice every single day. You realize how much work you're going to put in? Now, but if you join that team, you're going to stay on it. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care what happens. You're not quitting no matter what. So guess what? We better prepare. You're going to have to work hard then because you don't have the natural gifts everybody else has. Your arm is not as good as some of those boys, so we're going to have to get it up to par. Whatever happened to be speaking plainly to our kids? I know somebody says, well, you just ruined him. You'd have wrecked him. No, he had at least known where he really stands in life. We're not talking about being harsh or mean. We're talking about just being honest with our kids. How come we think it's wrong to lie, but then we'll lie to our kids about their abilities or their opportunities instead of instilling a false sense of worth by telling them that they're so wonderful and great at everything maybe we could point them to the truth and help them understand that that however they were made i mean however god made them is exactly what the creator desired i mean what's wrong with them just knowing that god accepts them and loves them the way he that he made them the way they are What's, where have we gone wrong? No wonder as adults today we get so offended every time somebody puts us down or says something negative to us because we don't know who we are in Christ and we have no concept of how God loves us and who God is. Why don't we teach our kids from the beginning, listen, you don't have to like your body 100%. That's how God made you. And the fact is you need to deal with that because you're exactly what God made and He loves you and you are perfect in God's eyes the way you're made. What's wrong with that? Instead of going, you're, you're perfect. And every one of those kids, they need to understand. And now all of a sudden he wants to take, get his worth, his value from others. Do you realize if that's what you're looking, if that's how you define your value and your worth is how everybody perceives you, you will be a very disappointed and very broken person. You better figure out that God loves you. And you better figure out right now that he made you the way he did. And the circumstances, situations that you find yourself in today, he allowed in your life for a purpose because he loves you and wants to build you up and mold and make you into the perfect Christ-like person you ought to be. And it's okay not to be everything. You don't have to be God's gift to mankind. You don't have to be God's gift to womankind. You just simply have to be faithful to Jesus Christ, and it'll be okay.
What makes boys and girls special is how God sees them. Love your children, yes. Encourage your children, yes. But do not lie to your children to try to build some false sense of worth or value because that's what they will look for the rest of their life. Speak plain. Not unkind, not nasty, but plain. Preachers need to speak plain. Preachers need to speak plain. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 6, verse 46. The disciples there, I mean, they've been traveling with Christ. They, they knew him as well as anyone could. And Jesus says to them, listen, you know, we need to go see Lazarus. And, you know, he sleepeth. Oh, well, if he's sleeping, he's fine, Lord. And he said, no, I need to tell you plain, plainly, Lazarus is dead. You're not getting what I'm saying to you. I'm, not, I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying to teach you something, but you're really not quite getting it yet. Lazarus is dead. Oh. Look what it says in John 6, verse 46. Not that any man has seen the Father, Jesus is speaking, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your father did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, there's been a number of false doctrines that have been brought out of this passage. By the way, when we take of that that fruit uh, of the vine and when we take of that bread at communion, it is not literally the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that we are consuming. It is not. And that is not what Christ is trying to teach here. But these particular Jews are listening to Jesus. They are followers of Christ and they're hearing this message and they're trying and they, they can't can't perceive it. They can't get it. They're not understanding it. It's so difficult for them. Verse 60 says, Many therefore of disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can hear it? It's so difficult. We can't figure it out. It's so hard to think that we got to eat of Christ, to think that He's the only way, to realize that there is no other option but Him. He's everything. Boy, I can't get that through my thick skull. That doesn't make sense to me. I do not want to yield to that. That's a hard saying. It's hard saying. You know what Jesus was doing? He's speaking pretty plain to them. They couldn't handle it. So what did they do? Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. I can't deal with it. I can't handle that. Forget it. I I don't like what I'm hearing. They walked no more with him. You know, Jesus spoke plainly on a number of occasions. Jesus, I don't believe, was unkind. I don't, believe Jesus, I don't believe Jesus was inconsiderate of people and their circumstances. Man, I, I see compassion all over the Lord Jesus Christ through the Scriptures. However, he was straightforward. Now, there was a time when he wasn't straightforward. It's called the parables. I call them the terribles. The reason I call them that is because he is purposely stating things in a way in which those who are not sincere in their faith and their belief in him will misunderstand it and totally miss it. He wanted them to miss it. Because they weren't honest and sincere in their heart. And basically, until you come to Jesus Christ sincerely, honestly, in genuine, in a genuine spirit, you will never understand that book or his word. 
And he, that's the way he designs it. But every other time, he's being as clear as he can be with people. But he's not being unkind unnecessarily. Preachers need to speak the truth. They need to shout it out. We as preachers cannot afford to sugarcoat the truth or the truth will be lost in the process. I don't know about you, but when you put a gummy worm or something in your mouth that has all that sugar on it, those real sweet ones, all you taste is the sweet. And if you're not a real fan of that real sweet, sweet, sweet stuff, man, you just it's almost like get it out before I even get to the gummy bear. Wow! That's all I taste is the sweet. And may I say, when we start sugarcoating messages, we're not really... Most people don't get the message. They usually only get the sugar. And by the way, last time I checked, nobody prescribed sugar to make someone strong and healthy. Here's how we address issues a lot of times today as preachers. What you're doing is probably not good. I'd like to just say, what you're doing is probably not good. Can I tell you that's not plain? I'm guilty of it. I do it because I don't want to offend people. I don't want to think I'm harsh and I don't want to think I'm mean. I don't want to say, you're judging me. And I think there's a time and a place for that. But I think it's all too often we turn to that. You might want to consider your actions and attitude. You might want to consider. You might want to. You might. Is that what you really mean? Is that what I really mean when I say might? Sometimes when I say that, I'm lying because I'm really not wanting to say you might want to. I'm saying, hey, think about what you're saying and think about what you're thinking. You better get it right or you're going to have a consequence for it. You're going to wreck and ruin your family if you keep that up, sir. Well, you need to consider, you know, your attitude and actions. You you might want to consider that. No, you better. We don't say it plainly enough sometimes. I'm guilty of it. I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm guilty of doing that. You might not like where you end up if you continue on this path. What? Where are they going to end up if they continue on the path? Preacher, parent, we know where they'll end up. We don't say it plainly, though, do we? Don't offend them. Don't want them to think that we're better than them, that we're trying to tell them how to live. No, wait a second. Last time I checked, the Word of God tells us how to live. And if they're straying from the Word of God, then when you say, listen, look what the Bible says. If you continue on the path you're going, you know where it's going to take you? Destruction. We don't speak plain today. We need to say, you're in sin. Your direction will lead you to ruin. You're walking in the flesh and disregarding Christ. You're disobedient and not simply slipping. You're not just backsliding. You are rebellious and disobedient. Now that's plain. When's the last time somebody come up to you, authority or not, and said, you are so rebellious, your spirit is so critical and negative. You are so rebellious. 
Anybody ever do that to you? No, because we don't talk like that anymore. We're so afraid of offending somebody. I'm not, I'm not talking about just random people. I'm talking about your best friends. Those that, you know, the wounds of a friend, iron sharpeneth iron. We see it in our friends and we see it in our family and we, we say we love them, but we let them continue on a road to destruction because we're so afraid of speaking plain because they're just going to be offended and they're going to walk away. Just like Jesus' disciples did. Preachers need to, we need to say it plain. You know why we don't? Because most people can't take it anymore. We're soft again. We're sensitive. We're weak when we're confronted with the plain truth. We often feel as though someone's being insensitive, harsh, or unloving toward us. We wilt at the plain truth. We crumble at the plain truth. We have no toughness, no grit, no gumption, it seems. I mean, we view those who give, us, give it to us straight as being judgmental, angry, and unloving today. That's how we feel many times. Jesus was accused of being unkind and insensitive, I'm sure. In Matthew 13, 55 through 57, I must hurry, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this, this uh, his mother called Mary and his brother and James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his, by the way, Mary had other children. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him, the Bible says. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Hey, listen, fellow, I'm just telling you the truth, he said. I know I grew up here, and I know you think I'm just a little squirt, and I know you remember me as a little boy, but the fact is, is that I am Jesus Christ. I am God in flesh, and I'm telling you the truth. They were offended at him. I'm just giving it to you straight, gentlemen, ladies. I'm just speaking plain now. You're offending us. Jesus offended people because he told it like it was. You know what he was talking about? It's the kingdom of heaven. But they got offended. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Remember how Jesus talked to the religious elite on a couple of occasions? In Matthew 12, 34, he said, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. O generation of what? Vipers? Matthew 23, 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? You say, that's what I don't like about you stinking Baptists. You're so mean-spirited. Take it up with him. I didn't say that. He did. I'm telling you, that's not the spirit, and that's not the attitude in which the plain truth is said. But let me tell you something. People need to know the truth. We will not tell the truth today. Listen, we have a racial war in America right now. And everybody's wanting to talk about dialogue. But people don't want real dialogue. They don't want truth. Truth is not what, what fuels the engine. And until we get to the plain truth about things and are honest with ourselves about ourselves and others, till we personally take responsibility for our personal actions, and get down to the nitty-gritty and deal with things on a real level, 
None of these things are ever going to be solved. They're being fueled, not by truth. The plain truth is what's needed to fix problems and to address issues. You've got to speak plainly to your children when they're going astray. You've got to speak plainly to your husband, wife. You've got to speak plainly to your wife, husband. You've got to speak plainly to your church, pastor. We need it plain. We need it straight. We need it as clear as possible. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because we're good at excusing our own sin and we're good at excusing ourselves. We're good at that. We're great at making excuses and finding a reason to condone our rebellion and our disobedience today. We are, every generation's been good at it. You know, we, we, we reason away our biblical responsibilities. I would do what the preacher said, but... I'd change my priorities, but... I'd make my child do, but... I'd be in my place at God's house faithfully, but... I'd give according to the scriptures, but... We'd, I'd be less vulgar at work, but... I'd take a stand for truth and right, but... That's why we need it plain. Because we continue to tell ourselves we're really good Christians when probably we're not as good as we think. Because we really don't hear Jesus speaking plainly. People need to speak plainly. Parents, preachers, just people in general. I'm just going to read one verse and I'm going to give you the result of plain speaking. But notice in Matthew 18, 15. Would you turn there, please? I'm going to give you a very practical and a very simple way to, be, to speak the truth or to be plain with people. This is one example when we're not plain with people. This causes so many problems in homes, so many problems in churches, so many problems in America even. Watch this. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. I had a coach uh, that was coaching on my team, and one of the boys did something. Uh, no, the quarterback, excuse me. I had a quarterback on my team, good young man, really sensitive, solid kid, good boy. One of the receivers went out, went the wrong direction, and we're practicing. And the quarterback, listen, quarterback's general on the field. And so he has to have some liberty to, to, to make some corrections, say, listen, but you are running toward the safety. In that route, you need to make sure you run away from the safety so when the ball comes, it's away from the defender. I understand that stuff, and that's good. I'm glad that he saw that. But the boy was out here. He was back here, and he's going, hey, you can't run that route. You've got to run the route in this way. If you're running that way, you've got to run it this way. And I went over and I said, hold on, stop. Just stop talking for a minute. I went and grabbed him and took him aside and I said, listen, you're going to correct that boy. I understand. You need to correct him. You're the quarterback. You're, you're, the, you're, you're the field general. But you do that with you and him alone. Take him aside and say, hey, listen, you know, when you run that route next time, I want you to go this way. I said, you're not the coach, so you don't do that publicly. You do that privately. You do that together. You, yes, tell him what he did wrong. Tell him what you want him to do and why it'll work best. That's fine. But you do that between you and him alone. So he started doing that. 
He didn't embarrass players. They didn't get mad at him. They weren't coming up and going, hey, he's always trying to tell us what to do, coach. You're supposed to be the coach. No, they, 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 re they respected him for where he stood on the field and for his character, and it worked out fine. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Do you know why this doesn't happen today? There's two reasons. One, we're afraid they'll never accept the reproof or the, the truth, that, that they won't listen to us. They'll think we're being judgmental. They'll think that we're being unkind. They'll think that we're being harsh, mean, insensitive, pointing out something that we felt was offensive or pointing out something that we felt was incorrect or wrong. I mean, it's between us and them, but we're still afraid to be plain with them for fear of how they'll respond. But watch. You know what that fear is? Cowardness. We're, we're cowardly. We're afraid to do what the Word of God says for fear of how it will, they will respond. But it takes both. You have to have the courage to do it God's way and be plain. One on one, not mean, not harsh, not nasty. But I got a problem with that fellow. Me and him, we had it. I heard about two coaches at football camp that hadn't spoken to each other in two full years because, and they almost came to a fist fight two years ago. And during one of the preaching sessions, it was over something stupid. It always is, isn't it? But preachers are just human. They're stupid too. And they wouldn't get it right. Instead of going to one another and making it right, they just went ahead and stayed in their, their prideful, arrogant ways, and they continued going down that path. Both of them were hurting themselves. And one day they got in a message, and the Spirit of God got a hold of them this week at camp. And they went over to each other, and they just started weeping and hugging and crying and begging for forgiveness from one another. Restored that relationship. You know what? That could have all been avoided if they had just followed the Word of God. If they had just spoke plainly and said, listen, listen, as a man, I'm coming to you. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell. I'm just telling you, in my heart, something doesn't click here. And I'm telling you that this is where I'm at, and I want you to know where I stand, and this is how it's going, and I feel this way, and I feel that way, and I want to get this settled. And they say, well, I don't know why you feel that way, because this happened and this happened, and you might be surprised. It may not be anything you even think. But you were going to speak plain. I saw you do this. I believed and felt that this is what was going on, so I wanted to tr approach it. Oh, that's not what's going on at all, maybe. But you've got to speak plainly. Go to them one-on-one. -on -one. Deal with it. You know what keeps most churches from experiencing the real spirit of God and revival? is people in the church that are just infighting. Have their little problems with one another, they call them. No, it's called rebellion, sin, hard-heartedness. Disobedience is what it is. To God's command, we won't speak plain. Not, not being unkind. Not thinking you're right and everybody's wrong. That's not what this is. Speaking the truth in love, yes. But speaking the truth plainly. So what happens here? How's this all work? Let me just tell you real quickly, and I only have a few minutes, so here it is. What are the results? Turn, if you would, to Psalm 51.4 real quick. What happens when we start speaking plainly? Not, not critically, not cynically, not negatively. It's not, I'm not talking about being a, a Mr. You know, uh, down in the mouth, chin always dragging, everything's always messed up, and I'm just going to tell you I don't like it. Why don't you get your attitude straight? Why don't you get the joy of the Lord? Why don't you spend some time with Jesus Christ and come out of there with some joy? I told my singles today, I felt like junk this morning. 
I felt horrible this morning. I did not want to get out of bed. I did not want to come to church. I just wanted to take the day off. I'm going to be honest with you. But I did my duty, like every Christian ought to, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I got up, and I came in here, and I got in my Bible, and I got on my knees. When I got off my knees, I said, Lord, let's do it, baby. Let's go. By the time those boys and those young men and young ladies rolled in, I'm ready. I got almost preaching back there. I told them, you got to pray for me because I feel like a preaching spell coming. <laughs> Watch this. Remember now, David has sinned with Bathsheba. He's transgressed God's law. He's, I mean, it's clear as... as as the nose on our faces, that he had disobeyed the scriptures. Nathan the prophet hears from God, and God says, you go to David and you point out his sin. You speak plain to him. <laughs> Boy, did he ever. Because at one point, David, Nathan finally says to David, thou art the man. You know, from that point, at that point, up to that point, David may have had some conviction in his life. It's possible David may have felt kind of sad for, for you know, taking someone else's wife, uh, having a child out of wedlock, and killing the husband. He might have felt bad. I don't know if he did or not. He's king. He can do whatever he wants. I don't know. Maybe his heart was cold and hard, too, at some point. I don't know why it took Nathan to have to say that, but it did. Someone had to speak plain to him. Someone had to point out the, the failure of his Christian life. Someone had to tell him from the Word of God, Thou art the man. And I, think David, I don't think Nathan did it because he despised David. I don't think Nathan did it because he wanted to hurt David. I don't think he did it because he was just hoping I could, can't wait till I get a chance to nail him to the wall. I don't think he felt that way ever. It broke his heart to have to tell him, but somebody had to tell him plainly. God used him to do it. Hold on. Look how David responds. Look what he says in Psalm 51. This whole chapter is a chapter of repentance. This is a chapter that, that is written as a result of Nathan's reproof and God's conviction in his life. Psalm 51. Here it is now. Against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. What's the result of plain speech? I'll tell you what it is. Clarity. It's real clear that what... It, it was real clear to David now that he was the man. He was the one that sinned, that he was wrong. Very clear. Number two, conviction. Conviction came. I don't know what David felt before that moment when Nathan came to him. But what I do know is, before it's over with, there's a whole chapter about him confessing his sin and being broken. When's the last time you shed tears over your sin? When is it? I mean, when you were broken and said, Oh, God, I've sinned against thee. 
When's the last time you were broken because of your sin? Nathan's plain speech brought clarity and it brought conviction. But in the end, it brought what? Change. Well, we need some plain speech today. There's not enough clarity in our culture. Men that think they're women can just walk into a woman's restroom today. That's not clarity. And we're not, hey, listen, heaven forbid you actually stand up and shout that you don't agree with that. But somebody's got to speak plain about stuff that goes against God's word. And that's got to be believers. Hey, oh, by the way, I'm hearing and I haven't had a chance to really check the stat out, but I've heard that just recently at the camp, and I have to double-check the stat because it may not be right, so I'm not going to take a stand on it, but I've heard that I think this past year was the first year that there were more children born to unwed mothers than wed mothers. Hold on. Why Why is that happening? Because there's been a whole generation of believers who haven't spoke plain about it. Even in our own homes, we accept that kind of behavior. And instead of being plain with our children, we kind of go, well, I don't want to lose them, so I'm not going to be real serious about this. I'm just going to back off a little bit. I'm not saying you have to turn your kids away. I'm not saying you have to disown them. I'm not saying you have to cut the cords that bind them. I'm not talking about that. Don't put words in my mouth. But I'm telling you, they better know how serious you are about that issue. Why? Because God's serious about that issue. Hey, sodomy is not accepted in the Lord's, in the Word of God. God does not see that as acceptable. Who's talking plain about that today? I'm telling you, most believers are afraid to say anything to their friends or their family. We're scared to death. But let me tell you, only speaking plainly will bring real clarity. And that's the only thing that will bring real conviction in the lives of men and women. And it's the only thing that will bring change to our culture, our country, and ultimately our lives. We've got to speak plain. Not unkind. Not being angry. Not being... Listen, people are going to accuse you of being angry and unloving and unkind the moment you disagree with them. Because why? We've raised that generation because we've not been speaking plain for years now. But somebody's got to speak plain or there'll be no real clarity in your home, your marriage, your family, or your church. No real clarity in your culture, your country, or the world itself. Someone's got to speak plain and there'll be no real conviction and conviction is the only thing that's going to change people. Not, not information. No, convict. there has to be conviction from God and His Word. Let's not give opinion. Let's make sure we're giving God's Word. But speak plain and share it plainly because that's what will bring change. It changed David's life. Sadly enough, he lived with the consequences and so did his family. But at least he changed. Can I tell you today that God wants us to be plain? Let's just be what we are. Let's quit putting on, as my grandma would say, the dog. If we're not right with God, then let's be honest enough just to say, God, I'm not right with you. I'm going to stop sugarcoating it in my mind. I'm just going to be plain with you. If I don't believe that there is a God in heaven, I'm just going to be honest and say, God, if you're really there, because I don't know that you are, then make yourself real to me. Show me that through your word. Let's be plain with God too. Let's be plain with our children. This is what we expect of you. This is what we desire of you. And this is going to break our heart if you don't follow through with this. Let's just tell them. 
be plain. It will bring clarity. It will bring conviction, and it will bring change. God help us to be plain. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we close, said, He simply said this, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He wasn't being mean. He wasn't being unkind. He wanted to bring clarity. He wanted them to know the severity of the situation. And he wanted something to happen as a result. You know what? That's what we want. Let's speak plainly. Have you spoken plainly to the Lord Jesus Christ about your sin? Are you saved today? Do you know Christ is your Savior? You need to. Settle it today. Let's not be lying to ourselves or to him or to anyone else. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been playing a game. There's been doubts flying in your heart constantly, continually, and you've been just struggling with living the Christian life. It's such a burden to you. It's so difficult. It feels like duty all the time. There's never a joy in it at all. Maybe it's because you've never really met business with the Lord and never truly trusted and gotten saved. Maybe you're just pretending this thing. Ask God to make that clear to you. The Lord will never tell you. Listen, Satan will tell you you're lost. He'll try to get you to doubt your salvation, but he will never tell you to get saved. So if someone or something inside is telling you to settle it today, i got to believe that's the Lord. Why don't you just settle it and come to the altar and be plain with God and say, I'm the sinner you died for. I deserve hell, but thank God you died in my place. I want you as my Savior today. Father, we come to you.